Hello, everyone. This is Father Bill Nicholas, and this is Faith, Hope, and History. Greetings and welcome, everybody. It is Friday, June 18th of the year 2021, and this is the weekend in which, at least as a nation, we celebrate Father's Day this coming Sunday. So it is Father's Day weekend. But it's not just any Father's Day weekend this year of 2021. This is a Father's Day that is celebrated during the Catholic Church's observance of a year of St. Joseph a time in which, as a church, we are remembering the husband of Mary, the earthly father of Jesus, and the man from whom Jesus got his name as a son of David, of a member of the family of David. We proclaim Jesus as the heir to the throne of David, and it is through Joseph, who is not his biological father, but nonetheless through Joseph that Jesus got that identity as an heir to the throne of David and a son of the family of David in the tribe of Judah in the kingdom of Israel. It is a real opportunity for many things this year for this Father's Day during the year of St. Joseph. But before I get into that, I want to talk about the practice the church has had over the last couple of decades in which we observe special years dedicated by the Holy Father. And in many ways, I as a priest have found them somewhat disappointing, not in the themes, although I can certainly think of other themes that I th- would be uh, compelling for the church to remember over the course of a year. But the fact that when a certain year has been dedicated by the Holy Father, they have been lost opportunities for the church because of how dioceses and parishes have responded to them, if they responded at all. And in some cases, what could have been years of great substantial education, catechesis, evangelization of various aspects of the Catholic faith, they were lost opportunities and in many ways constituted wasted years for the church. Lost opportunities, wasted opportunities. And just to give you a few examples, uh, about 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago, Pope John Paul II declared a Marian year. And of course, there's a great devotion to the Blessed Mother in the Catholic Church. And it could have been a year in which we really embraced ecclesiology, a theology of the church in that year, because one of the things the Blessed Mother is, is model of the church. She is the first and most perfect of disciples of Jesus, and therefore is the model of discipleship, a symbol of all disciples, and therefore a symbol of the church. And so it could have been a great year in which we talked about the role and calling of the church, the foundation of the church on the apostles by Jesus, especially nowadays where we hear people like to separate themselves from the church while at the same time declaring themselves followers of Christ, which you really can't do, that year of Mary could have been an opportunity for that. Unfortunately, as with a couple other cases of years dedicated by the Holy Father, it was taken over by the devotionalists. Not that devotion is bad or unimportant. They are important parts of our Catholic tradition. But An example here is what could have been a year of the church symbolized in Mary. It became, for many places, a year of the rosary, which is nothing new. The rosary is already popular. It's already a a devotion of many people. And so promoting the rosary, while all well and good, wasn't of as good a substance, I think, than promoting a teaching regarding the church of which Mary is a symbol and why Mary is important. 
It could have been a year of Mariology. Instead, it was just simply a year of the rosary in the parish I was assigned to and in other places as well. But a few years after that, just a couple of years after that, the same Pope, John Paul II, declared a year of the Eucharist. Now, the Eucharist, of course, is the source and summit of our life as Catholics. Everything flows from it and flows to it. And it could have been a great year to teach and be renewed with regard to the Mass, the act of worship that is centered on the Eucharist, in which the Eucharist comes into our midst during the Eucharistic prayer. And especially at a time when there is great division within our church between people of the old Latin Mass and people of the current Mass. And it could have been a time of renewal, especially for people and priests who have uh, misused or miscelebrated the current Mass and driven people away to the Latin Mass, which is a, an important part of our tradition. But it could have been a time of great renewal and teaching and substantial enrichment with regard to the Mass, because the Mass is such a divisive issue in our church nowadays between the people who like the Latin Mass and the people who like the current Mass. And the reasons for people to retreat to the Latin Mass, which I, in many ways I think are valid reasons. I mean, one of the ways that that year could have been used is in a renewal for the priests who celebrate the Mass. And I've even said of people who like the Latin Mass, I said, yes, I acknowledge that there are priests who like to take the Mass and make a dog and pony show out of it or turn it into their own stand-up comedy routine. You know, the Tonight Mass starring Father Jones with musical guests brought to you by United Airlines. But if the Mass were to go back to Latin Mass exclusively tomorrow, and we do nothing but the Latin Mass as it was, many people would be very, very happy. They'd go, ooh, yes, we're going back to the Latin Mass. But the thing they forget is those very priests who currently make the current Mass a joke will be the same priests who make the Latin Mass a joke. And then we'll have other issues. You know, it won't be a matter of Latin versus non-Latin, but which priest is saying the Mass. And so the year of the Eucharist could have been a great opportunity to teach the Mass, to get people renewed in the Mass, and especially priests as celebrants of the Mass. But instead, as with the case of the year of Mary, the devotionalists took over and it became a year of Eucharistic adoration which again, I'm not against. It's a wonderful tradition, and it's a wonderful time spent in the presence of God before the Blessed Sacrament, but a substantial opportunity was lost because there was no guidance given by dioceses and no imagination exercised by pastors and associates and leadership in parishes to not only make this a year of a devotion, but truly a year of the sacrament of the Eucharist. A few years later, Pope Benedict XVI declared a year of St. Paul. And I was excited about that because, again, something substantial. St. Paul is the great theologian of the New Testament. The letters of the, of the scriptures, most of them are written by Paul, and he presents a very substantial theology that still continues to guide the church because, after all, it's Holy Scripture. But I was perplexed when some saw it as nothing more than the year of the sexist. Why? Because the only passage of anything written by Paul that they seem to know is that one line, wives be submissive to your husbands. Completely forgetting the context of that particular passage and the overall context of the works of St. Paul. They only know that line and, of course, didn't want to observe it because in their modern, we would call it woke mentality, Paul was a sexist, which, of course, he was not. 
And in my archdiocese here in San Francisco, there were some opportunities. Pilgrimages led to churches named for St. Paul within the archdiocese, and also the California missions within the archdiocese of San Francisco. Uh, There were activities centered on that. Pilgrim journeys to those churches where they prayed, perhaps went to Mass, went to confession. And with that came uh, spiritual graces bestowed and declared by the local bishop that would accompany that particular act of pilgrimage. But for the most part, nothing else was really provided. I observed that year of St. Paul. Whenever St. Paul's letter was a second reading of a Mass on Sunday, that was my homily. I didn't focus so much on the first reading of the Gospel. But if the second reading was from one of Paul's letters, I focused on that in my homily. And people seemed to appreciate it uh, because they realized there was so much more that Paul wrote in his letters than simply the controversial ones that are controversial only because people don't understand those readings or what Paul was saying or where Paul was coming from. So there I thought was a really substantial theological year that was missed, an opportunity that was missed. A couple of years later was declared a year for priests, which I thought was a great year, especially coming on the heels of the scandals a few years prior. It could have been a great year for vocation promotion, I observed it by applying all my homilies on Sunday, if not most of my homilies, to my calling as a priest and the work of priests, as I've experienced it up to that point. But there was very little extra work done to promote vocations and promote the calling of priesthood. And so again, it wasn't taken advantage of as much as it could have. A couple of years after that, Pope Francis declared a year of the consecrated life, and I prepared for it at least by collecting vocation material from communities of the consecrated life. Uh, Even in one of my vacations that year, I took a road trip and visited the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist in Ann Arbor, Michigan, the Dominican Sisters of St. Cecilia in Nashville, and the Religious Educators of St. Lucy Filippini in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, as well as other communities around where I was serving as a priest, and collected vocation materials, hoping to make them available during the course of the year. But there was no interest in the parish I was at, even among the priests. And the year of the consecrated life was pretty much a year that came and went with very little notice. And it could have been a great year for promotion of vocations to the consecrated life, just as the year of the priest could have been a year of promoting the priesthood, and the vocation to the ordained life. A couple of years after that, we had the year of mercy. And yes, there were quite a few activities in the year of mercy, but that to me was among the most disappointing of years because it could have been a real good year to promote and teach and evangelize and catechize on the sacrament of confession, which already so few Catholics receive and of those who do, so few know how. And we priests sit in the confessional person after person, and sometimes have to walk each person through how to go to confession, or to help them in terms of looking deeper into their lives and examining their conscience so they could make a proper and full and substantial confession. But all we really did for that year was wallow in the mercy of God and walk through a stupid holy door that some parishes had. I mean, we walked through a door, for crying out loud. But did we promote the sacrament of confession? Certainly not where I was. Did we promote the idea of forgiving one another and asking ourselves, was there anyone we needed to forgive? Or was there anyone we needed to seek forgiveness from? We didn't hear that much. I tried to work it into my homilies, and the parish I was at put out cards that had on them the front and back the spiritual and corporal works of mercy. 
But there wasn't as much done that could have been done other than, again, we just remembered how merciful God is, we wallowed in God's mercy, and we walked through a holy door. But what did we really do to promote mercy in the sacramental sense and in our personal lives with those we interact? Again, I think that was perhaps the most wasted of the years. Now we have a year of St. Joseph, and we're already halfway through this year. It began on December 8th, 2020, and will conclude on December 8th, 2021. So we're halfway through the year of Joseph, and already we've had the Feast of St. Joseph in March. We had the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker on May 1st, the Feast of the Holy Family after Christmas. Did we take advantage of this being the year of Joseph, and have we preached Joseph as priests over the course of the year? I have, however, seen an increase in people participating in the process of consecration to St. Joseph, which is good to see, but there are so many opportunities to take with regard to the year of St. Joseph, and some of them may be considered politically incorrect, or at least not politically correct. And the weekend of Father's Day, I think, is a wonderful opportunity to remember the year of St. Joseph, because while we celebrate fathers, and I'm not talking about me, the priest, every year I have to say this, and some parishioners do respect it. I love to say this every year, and I'm probably the only priest you've ever heard say this, because in many cases, the opposite is the situation with some priests, but Father's Day is not a day for priests. Now I know what you're thinking. Oh no, Father, you are our spiritual father. You're a father figure. And I am adamant on that. This is not spiritual father's day. This is not father figure's day. This is not a day to replace the father we're supposed to celebrate on Father's Day, which are men whose vocation it is to raise children, which is not my vocation. And I don't need to cling to Father's Day because of something lacking in my life. I did not choose that vocation. God did not choose that vocation for me. So please, at least with me, if not keep conscious with regard to your priests, be careful who you patronize on this day. This is not priest's day. This is Father's Day. This is not spiritual Father's Day. This is not Father Figure's Day. This is a day for men who raise children, and we've seen in our society how fathers have been so terribly downplayed in media, in entertainment, you name it. How many single mothers actually believe they can raise their children, and many of them can, but without a father? And we are downplaying the importance of fathers in the family, even entire demographics within our society in which the majority of children are born without fathers, and we see the detrimental effect of the absence of fathers in the upbringing of children. And one thing we remember about St. Joseph is he was a father. Maybe not the blood father of Jesus, but this was the man who raised Jesus. This is the man who gave Jesus his name as a son of David. This is the man who raised Jesus to be a carpenter, in Nazareth, and Jesus came to be known as the carpenter's son because he was the son of Joseph. He came to be known as a son of David because Joseph was of the family of David. And on this weekend of Father's Day, one thing we remember in Joseph is fatherhood. 
Another thing we remember in Joseph is that he was a married man. He was married to the Blessed Virgin Mary, the mother of Jesus. We can't separate the two. I know many people with a great devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary who forget that she had a husband. And that's not something we should forget during this year of Joseph on Father's Day. He was not only a father, but he was a married father. And he was married to a woman. And we're talking about marriage as being an institution for life between a man and a woman. And we see that reflected in St. Joseph. So he was a father, he was a husband, and he was married to a woman. Joseph was also a working man. He was a carpenter. He was a man who worked for a living to provide for his family, his wife and his son. We like to portray the Holy Family as a poor family. But they were in a small town, and he worked an important service. He was a carpenter. But we think that they were a poor family because they couldn't find any room at the inn when they had to travel to Bethlehem. But remember, if they couldn't find any room at the inn, that would presume, of course, that they checked and were looking for room at the inns and therefore could afford to pay the fee at the inn. They just couldn't find room. So he was not only a working man, but he was a middle-class man. They were a working-class family. He earned a living to provide for his family. He was not a freeloader. He didn't rely on government assistance to provide for his family. And all this can be talked about on Father's Day during the year of Joseph, as we remember the important role of fathers in our society, an importance that is terribly downplayed and sometimes ridiculed and mocked by certain factions within our society that unfortunately have grown in prominence over the years. But also important is to remember that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, who I mentioned earlier, is the symbol of the church, Joseph, her husband, is the patron saint of the church. So even there you see the complementarity between husband and wife in this. The symbol of the church in the Blessed Mother and the patron saint of the Catholic Church throughout the world in her husband, St. Joseph. And what brings to the fore in that image is masculinity within faith. A restored masculinity to the Christian and to the Catholic faith. How often do people see religion as something that women do? I mean, first of all, we forget that we call God Father. We forget that Jesus was a man. We forget that the 12 apostles were men. And while many of the heroes of the Old Testament were women, many of them were also men. Moses, Abraham, Joseph, David, Solomon, Gideon, Samson. Men of great virtue, but also men of great vice. The heroes of the Old Testament and of the New Testament were men, in addition to the women who are featured in both Old and New Testament. And what we are reminded in Father's Day on the year of St. Joseph is the important role of fathers in the upbringing of children in the faith. Repeatedly, we see that in the scriptures, that the one who has the primary responsibility for bringing up children in the faith are the fathers. 
And yet, the stereotypical image is that religion is for women. Even to the point of the artist Norman Rockwell, one of the most beloved modern American artists, has a painting of a family going to church. In this image, the dad is kind of hiding in the armchair, not going to church, while the mom and two daughters are looking very snobbish and very uppity as they are leaving to go to church. And last in the line in this picture is the son, all dressed up, but as he's passing the chair where his father is hiding, he's looking at the chair. Where the ladies are not looking, they're rather snobbishly walking out the door. The son is looking at the chair almost as if is implied he's looking forward to the day he's there with his dad instead of with the women. So even Norman Rockwell, who's an artist that I enjoy, whose works that I have enjoyed, portrays the obligation of going to church on Sundays as something that women do. We're reminded by St. Joseph that the religious upbringing of a family, at least biblically, is regularly stated to be the responsibility of the father. Of course, complemented by the presence and influence of the mother. But the father is not absent in this to the point of taking a primary role. And we are reminded in this Father's Day of the year of St. Joseph of the responsibility of the man, but also of the masculine presence. They return to the inclusion of masculinity in the church. And we have a model in St. Joseph, and especially something that can be accentuated on Father's Day. This is not a sexist message or a sexist image, but it shows the complementarity of fathers with mothers, in which masculinity is not toxic. It's essential in a family. We cannot be without the presence of a father, and we see that example in St. Joseph. And this just six months into the year dedicated to St. Joseph. So there are great opportunities for teaching in this year that Pope Francis has called to be dedicated as a year of St. Joseph. And some might be a little unnerving to the politically correct sensitivities of modern society. But nonetheless, as people of faith, these are valid things to remember. The importance of husbands, the importance of marriage between a man and a woman, the importance of fathers in the upbringing of children, and the importance of masculinity and its complementarity to femininity in the family and in society. On a much higher level, on a social and economic level, St. Joseph is also invoked on such days as May 1st, the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker, as a point of emphasis economically and politically, because May 1st, the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker, was developed as a counterbalance to the communist revolution of May 1st. And so St. Joseph is one we turn to for intercession against the influence of atheistic communism and socialism in our world. And this developed in the 30s and up through the 50s. And one of the titles of Joseph that sprung up from this calling on Joseph for his intercession against the encroachment and influence of communism and socialism is that he is the terror of demons. Some of you may have heard as a title of Joseph, one of them is the terror of demons, and that too is developed in the specific context of countering the atheistic influences of communism and socialism, which we see very much an encroachment in our society today, especially here in the United States. 
And so there's a real opportunity this year on Father's Day in the year of St. Joseph to accentuate a great many things about our faith, some of which are very affirming and uplifting, Others are very confrontational with regard to the zeitgeist and trends of social consciousness and the culture of this country. And others can be real challenges to hear because it flies in the face of modern political correctness, but are nonetheless essential because they are part of our faith, which in many ways is under assault, culturally, socially, politically, and economically. And we turn to St. Joseph, a man, a real man, a husband, a father, as that model who we turn to during this year of St. Joseph. So don't let this be a wasted year. There are real opportunities to have. And I hope for all of you whose vocation it is to raise children, a happy and holy and blessed Father's Day. And don't ever let any influence in our society diminish or downplay your important role in our society as men, in the role of marriage as husbands, and in the raising of children as their fathers. Because we see the absence of a father can be disastrous in the upbringing of children, which ultimately has a detrimental effect on society. So, happy Father's Day in this year of St. Joseph, husband of Mary, father of Jesus, and patron saint of the Catholic Church throughout the world. So, thank you for listening. Be sure you visit my website, www.frbillnicholas.com. My website, Fides Nostra, and my YouTube page. Thank you for listening, and with any luck, I'll talk to you again soon.